Faith Factor Impact, episode number 10. Hey everybody, welcome to Faith Factor Impact, where we hang out with today's top nonprofit thought leaders to get refueled, reconnected, and inspiration. So let's go. People will come to your organization because of mission, but they'll probably stay too because of, of leadership and, and believing in the person that is putting it out there. Hello, Impact listeners. Jay Everline here, your host, and I am so excited to present to you today our featured guest, Jennifer Singer. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Jennifer Singer is the executive director for Friendship Club, a non-for-profit organization that helps at-risk adolescent girls in Nevada County by teaching them life skills, personal responsibility, and the value of hard work. Jennifer is a certified fundraising executive and has been featured speaker for organizations such as the Center for Nonprofit Leadership and a guest of C. Jane Doe, an award-winning social change media and event productions organization. Jennifer is a top-notch thought leader who's doing work that matters and making an impact. So, Jennifer, we always like to start the top of our show off with a reflection. It's a moment of quieting the noise that could be around us to center us. And I know you've got a prepared uh, reflection for us. So why don't you just take a moment and share with us? Sure. Uh, This comes to us from Jack Canfield. By taking the time to stop and appreciate who you are and what you've achieved and perhaps learned through a few mistakes, stumbles, losses, you actually can enhance everything about you. Self-acknowledgement and appreciation are what give you the insights and awareness to move forward toward higher goals and accomplishments. You know, for me, um, I think that in reviewing my leadership over um, the last 20 years, it's really, you know, I've grown up. I started this work at 19 years old, so I had a lot of growing to do and um, really always taking that time for self-reflection, growth, moving ahead, embracing change um, has really been, for me, the hallmark of um, effective leadership. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. So, Jennifer, we're hanging out there in Nevada County, just kicking back, having a cup of coffee at your local coffee shop and having a chat. And so I want to learn a bit more about you, who you are personally, the steps you took to get to where you are. Just share your story with us. Uh, who, Who is Jennifer Singer? Okay, well, um, I was born here in Nevada County in Grass Valley. Um, my family had been in the area since the 50s. My grandfather moved um, up from the Bay Area. He moved his um, technology firm up here back in the 50s when um, he wanted to kind of get out of the Bay Area and get a little closer to nature. Um, we have a um, kind of cabin retreat about an hour and a half from here, and that's where he um, started being and started wanting to have his family closer to um, to nature. So he brought his family up here in the 50s, and my family's been um, kind of leaders in, in our community um, since then. And so I grew up here, um, went to elementary and high school here in Grass Valley. It's a small town in the Northern California foothills. Um, I graduated in uh, 1993 and then went on to the University of Colorado at Boulder, uh, where I was a communication major. 
Um, I loved that work there. I had a great time. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Um, but in my junior, uh, junior year, um, I started coming back here in the summers and started working with a woman who was involved with a, a leadership, a youth program that I had worked with in high school. And she had an idea that there were some girls at risk in our community that could really benefit from some guidance and mentorship and support, and I started uh, a few summers working with her when I was home. And then um, as I was figuring out what I was going to do at the end of my senior year, I decided that you know, I'd looked at going into the Peace Corps or things like that, but what I really decided was um, I wanted to come home and um, work with these girls for a couple of years and see how that goes, um, and of course, I've been here ever since. Um, in 2000, I you know, recognized that I really did want to move forward in nonprofit, and so I did go and uh, do some work toward my Master's of Nonprofit Administration at the University of San Francisco. Uh, that was a commuting experience. I'd go down every Monday and take my classes and then come back and work all week. Um, and that was an amazing experience and gave me a lot of insight into uh, the nonprofit sector and the importance of it, and I truly am a believer in nonprofit work. And then recently, I felt like I wanted to kind of take my fundraising to the next level. I've been doing it since I joined the organization, and so I recently received my certified fundraising executive certification as well. Sounds to me like you've got a, a whole line of, of family that's been serving your community, your parents. Sounds like they've been uh, knee-deep and, and making a difference in their community, That that's uh, and you're carrying on that, that legacy. Um, yeah, definitely a lot of Rotarians and Seroptimists and, um, you know, other community service board leadership. Um, so, yes, I definitely pull from their example. So one of the things we talked about in the pre-interview was that you guys just celebrated your 20th anniversary. Um, yes. That must be exciting. Are there any things about that that you're just thrilled about that you'd like to share with us? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, this is a classic grassroots nonprofit story. So we definitely started on the kitchen table with just an idea, started with a very few number of girls. And, you know, to be honest, probably in the beginning had no real vision for what what we would be in 20 years. You know, we were just doing the work and mm -hmm. working with the girls. And um, so to have that opportunity at 20 years to look back, to think about the community members who had been involved in the early days, who were lovely and supported us, who knows if they really thought we could, you know, would be where we are today. My guess is not really. I don't think anyone had that kind of vision at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think there was um, an opportunity to reflect and thank. Uh, we had done a really great job of taking pictures. And so I think just having people be reminded of how long this journey has been and that we've all been in it together and what we've accomplished together and how um, many girls and lives we've touched. Um, so I think for me, it was just a real proud moment to look back and reflect on um, what we have done. And um, and then, more importantly, where I am today is looking looking forward and how we can build on that reflection and that foundation to 
uh, make things even better. Yeah, I, I love that that story from the from the kitchen table to where you are today. And you know, sometimes it's like that. But but I applaud you and and many others who, in spite of very humble beginnings, keep at the thing that you feel so passionate about, and it it just evolves into uh, such an amazing story that you have to to look back and reflect on today. So uh, thank you for your work. So we believe that there is a faith factor uh, at work in every person that is clearly making a difference in the world. It's your why. It's the one thing that propels you and keeps you going in spite of your early beginnings, your, your, the odds, the obstacles. And so Jennifer, why don't you share with us your why? What's your faith factor? Well, you know, my why really has to be, you know, as I look at these girls who come from such um, challenging situations sometimes, I mean, things that I could never imagine having to endure, um, and they do, and they, they get up in the morning and they put one foot in front of the other, and things are hard and challenging for them, but they still, um, you know, with support, they can get through it, and um, and just watching them grow up. You know, I have the opportunity now to look at girls who are in their 30s, who've benefited from the program, who are raising their own children, who are breaking the cycle, um, giving their children the lives that they deserved and didn't get to have. Um, so, you know, certainly early on people asked, how can you do this? I mean, these stories are so difficult. How can you put yourself around that all the time? <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you make it? And I said, well, I, now that I know it's here, how could I possibly not? You know, mm. how could I not do this work? Mm. Has usually been my answer to that. Um, if I knew I could help one, um, that that's what I would do. And so yeah. it's always the girls and their spirit and knowing that they really, um, they need that light and they need support and they need to be encouraged and that, um, anything is possible. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, we, we thrive on stories here and I know you got a ton of them. And is there, is there a particular story about some of the, the young girls that you're dealing with that really sticks out that you, you would mind sharing with us? Sure. I mean, you know, many of our girls come from family situations that are extremely difficult. Um, many of our girls' parents are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. Some have uh, parents who are incarcerated. Um, they're witness to domestic violence. Um, you know, they're really, uh, they themselves may not have been demonstrating behaviors yet when we, when we get them, we try to get them up into the sixth, you know, right before the sixth grade. Um, but their families are in such turmoil that you just know that it's kind of, sadly, it's, it may be a matter of time until they, until they start going down the same path. So, um, when I see a girl like, um, uh, Jacqueline, um, who, had um, a mother who, um, a mother and family who were heavily involved with drugs and alcohol, um, and she was left to on her own um, a lot. Um, now she always had a loving relationship with her mom, of course, but her mom really struggled with with her own addictions and and put Jacqueline in a very difficult position growing up of always worrying about her mom and her mom being sick a lot, and that that was always something that she had to keep in the back of her head and keep her family together in her mind. Um, um, but she did. She persevered, and she um, got through school, and she excelled, and she became a role model for other girls. Um, sadly, her mother passed away um, her senior year, and that was a really, of course, on that you can imagine a huge blow for her to lose to yeah. lose someone like that. Um, and it was right around our graduation and scholarship dinner 
And, of course, I told her, you know, you don't need to be there. You know, the girls get up and give speeches in front of 250 people. (laughs) (laughs) Knew that that might be a pressure that she wasn't ready for. She said, no, I'm going to be there. It's important to me. You've been such an important part of my life. I would never have been able to get through this without you. So um, she did come, and she delivered a beautiful speech and and gave honor to her mom and thanked us for the role we've played. Um, And flash forward a few years now, she's um, our newest board member, and she is kind of heading up with me our new initiative, which is our alumni program, um, which is going to bring the, the graduate girls as well as any girl who, who ever spent any time in the program, they didn't have to graduate with us, um, the opportunity to continue to come together and support each other, learn from each other, network, um, have fun, and um, and give back because a lot of them are at that place now that they want to help the other, the younger girls, come back and mentor them, spend time with them, and really show them and continue to help them see the importance of Friendship Club and what it can mean for their future. Amazing. Just simply yeah. amazing. I mean, this is this is why we we so focus on and, and ask people to find their why, find their faith factor, because that's the kind of story that comes out of, you know, living out that why and, and being compelled by that. Uh, such amazing. She's a board member now. I mean, what an awesome story. Thank you so much yes. for sharing that, Jennifer. So, so Jennifer, after you've reached this point in your your life and your in your work as the executive director and doing all of these amazing things, there can be this perception that things just seem to work out. It's always been like that, um, and you've never had any problems. There's never been any any setbacks. But you and I know that that's far from the truth, and you've had your fair share of what we call valley moments. And so, can you take a moment and tell us what was the most difficult valley moment for you? What happened and and what did it teach you? Well, I think that any leader, especially the small organization, and we are completely uh, funded by private donation. So we have no, you know, there's no steady income. There's nothing we can count on. We have to go, you know, take that leap of faith every year that donors will come back, donors will increase, we will make new friends, and that can be a lot of pressure. Um, And so I think for me those valley moments come when I'm not sure that those I'm going to be successful um, raising the funds that we need to keep our amazing staff going, to keep our programs going, keep the girls going. Um, So I think, you know, any valley moment – Certainly, let's put aside any challenging experiences with girls. I mean, those, those, that's what's the most important. And when our girls are in crisis, um, I feel very lucky that we have a team who can address that so that those don't have to become my valley moments. Um, so for me, just focused on the leadership piece, um, it's really um, when you're not sure you're doing the right thing anymore, um, when things get so overwhelming and there's so many things to do and you know you're finding a slip here and a slip there and you're like what am I doing is this am I really the right person for this job am I the person who should be here Um, you know maybe I don't have the skills or the the mindset to to be successful here and so really doubting yourself Um, and I would say that that came for me probably in you know 2010 when um, we just had had some staff turnover and changes, and I wasn't sure the direction we were heading, and um, it just felt really dark and 
like I might just need to not do this anymore. Mm. Um, But I decided that wasn't the right answer. And I rallied with my board of directors and we made some change and we really put some good thoughts out into the (laughs) the universe about who we wanted to be and what kind of staff we we wanted to have. And over the next few years, um, we made some, you know, infrastructure changes, um, personnel changes that I think have put us now in a very uh, secure and positive space. And now I realize that having not gone through that painful few years, mm-hmm. um, we wouldn't be here. So um, just a reminder that you have to go through some of that stuff to to get to the other side of that. Well said. You've well said. You never know how close you are to the gold. You can stop one step short of hitting right. gold. And, and uh, thanks for pushing through. So, Jennifer, we focus a lot on leadership. Our, our listeners uh, tune in because... Uh, they're looking for inspiration and insight from leaders like yourself. And so I want to take a few minutes now and, and talk about leadership here. Um, when I talk to successful leaders like you, there's often this defining moment that that along your leadership journey that really influenced your direction, how you approach your work. What was that moment for you? And, and can you share with us what that was like? Where were you? What were you doing? Um, take it away. Well, I think, you know, first of all, for me, when I look back, I realize that I've actually been involved with leadership program and leadership development since I was very young, since I was in junior high school, actually, which sounds kind of silly, but um, it was sort of that first path, which, um, and that was an organization called the California Association of Student Councils, or CASC, and it was a, it's an amazing youth development program in California. And I started, like I said, when I was young um, and worked my way quickly up into being a junior counselor and then a counselor and and spreading um, that around California and being part of youth leadership at that point was just very inspirational. And so as I started taking more and more responsibility and leadership on, I kept really reflecting back on those times when I was young and people believed in me and I took a chance. And so... You know, that's kind of some early time for me. And then recently, in the last five years or so, um, just learning more about the work of strength leadership and embracing your strengths and who you are and not apologizing for that and learning how to be the best, the best in that, recognizing that you can't do everything and no one expects you to, you know, or you shouldn't expect that from yourself. Another defining moment for me was when I was in college and... I was on um, a semester at sea. I had an opportunity to do that when I was a junior in college. Awesome. And you know, we saw, we went to India and Africa and saw all kinds of amazing things and um, amazing poverty and just tragedy. Um, and there were so many people who sat around and said, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to Brazil and work with the street children. <laughs> I'm going to go back to Africa and make a difference. I'm going to go back to India. And I looked around and I said, you know what, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to my community and do what I can to make a difference there. Um, And that was kind of the time I decided that I would um, at least go back for a while to to see where this friendship club thing would go. And um, so that's at least what brought me back to my community. Love that. Love that. You know, sometimes we we do miss that. We want to we want to solve problems, and which is good, right? There are problems all across the world, but sometimes it's right before us. And so 
you talked a bit about your strengths. And so I want to get into that because, you know, there's a lot of research that talks about us operating in our strength because that's where the magic happens. And in nonprofits, you know, you can get caught up with trying to be the jack of all trades and uh, that really diminishes things. So talk to us a little bit about um, what your genius talent is. We, we call that strength a genius talent. It's your thing that you're better at, better at than most. Talk to us about that. What's that for you? I think the one, you know, if you're familiar with the strength finders and things like yeah, that, yeah. You, you take tests and you get your five, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for me, when I'm looking at my five, which I don't have right in front of me, I apologize, but my five, I know that the common theme always comes out to seeing the other side, uh, seeing the other perspectives that people bring to the table and having the ability to not get hung up on my own point of view, um, but really hear where the other person's coming from, put myself in their position, um, understand what might be behind the message they're sharing, and then figuring out how to move forward in, in a collaborative way. So um, flexibility, <laughs> point of view, um, you know, sometimes that's hard. That's yeah. people who get really set in their ways <laughs> and believe that their way is the right way can get frustrated with that. People who want decisions to be made and always be the way it is, mm -hmm. um, people who need to live in the black and white. Um, but I have found that that is just not possible, that you have to live in, in the gray areas, you have to take every situation as it comes, and that there's just never going to be a one easy answer. Um, and so I think I have that that strength and talent, and that comes up a lot, you know, when you have a difficult moment between staff members or a difficult moment with a volunteer. I mean, sometimes you can just easily write people off or, well, they just don't get it and yeah. they just don't understand or they're wrong, um, but we have to really take what, what we can and, and kind of learn from each other and see that if we do think about everyone's point of view, we can make things better. Yeah, yeah. You you probably find yourself, you, and you're likely, and obviously your strength, it's your strength, being a, a very effective mediator uh, and, and helping everyone see the, those perspectives, right? Um, good stuff, good stuff. So from, from your perspective, I, I want to talk about this because a lot of times we talk about the things that leaders need to do right, and I think that that is good. But mm -hmm. I, I want to ask you, what if you had to, to, to name the don'ts of leadership, what are the things that you would advise leaders not to do? Well, I would say don't lead, don't let fear guide you because there's a lot of things to be afraid of and there's a lot of challenges that you're going to um, find. And I think that in, in a lot of different ways, when fear is guiding us, then we make bad decisions. We start to get siloed. We start to feel competitive instead of collaborative. Um, we just don't, you know, we don't make good decisions when we're fear-based. Mm -hmm. So I would say that that's my number one. Um, don't resist change because it's going to happen whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. So um, don't resist it. I would say anticipate it, embrace it, try to get ahead of it, try to know, you know, looking down the line what could happen and um, consider what you'll do in those cases just so you're aware. And then also just to be aware that change is going to happen so um, you want to be in control of that change as much as possible so you don't want to get surprised by that. Um, uh, don't lose – yeah, go ahead. No, no, go go right ahead. I, oh. I, I'm loving this. Uh, <laughs> don't lose sight of humanity. 
I think especially in small organizations, it's important to just talk with each other. Sometimes we get too email happy or trying to impart too much information in a in a way that doesn't really take into account that we're still people here working together. Mm-hmm. So always always go there first. People need to, need to feel included and heard and respected and that their contributions matter. Um, and that don't think you are alone and don't try to do it all yourself. Um, and especially, again, in small nonprofit, EDs do often have to wear so many hats. Yep. They have boards of directors to deal with and staff to deal with, and sometimes it does feel easier to <laughs> just do it yourself. Yep. But you'll never be the best you can be, and so figuring out, you know, what are your strengths and then what are the strengths you need to find in others to help you be your best and complement you. Yeah, false evidence appearing real. Uh, that is that is an acronym that I have tried to hold near and dear to my heart because there are a lot of times I love that you said that um, we go into a situation and we're where we are just held hostage to that fear. And and I'm appreciative because the story you, you talked about earlier as it relates to you doubting yourself. Hey, can I can I do this work? And you push past that fear and here you are today. And so, folks, hear those words very clearly. There will be moments when that fear will enter, but it is not real. If you push past that, there there is a promise on the other side. So awesome stuff. So I want to talk about community work and strategic partnership. Um, and so what is the one big thing, Jennifer, that you're working on right now that most excites you? Well, you know, as I mentioned, the 20 years was a time of reflection, and now it's time for moving ahead. And I also alluded to the fact that we are, you know, community funded, that uh, waking up every morning and raising money is what I have to do. And I would, so we're working on a sustainability plan, which I know might not sound super exciting, but um, really is because it means the future of the Friendship Club. So, um, you know, in our sustainability plan, we are looking at the next three years, talking to our our donors about getting involved at a higher level to to make sure that this work is possible into the future. And, and so it's been exciting to talk to people, to share our accomplishments, but to say, but what's next? How are you going to help us be here tomorrow? How are you going to help us grow with our girls, um, get our alumni program off the bat? Um, because, you know, eventually it would be lovely to see this girl, these girls be sustaining this organization in, in one way or another, as donors, as volunteers, um, because they're truly the ones who've benefited from this work. Mm-hmm. And we're starting to see the, the glimmers of them wanting to give back. Um, they're still young and there's still not so many out there that that's possible, but, but it's um, setting our intention in that direction and getting people excited about that possibility has been fun. Yeah, I, I'm curious. I mean, I, I, yeah, it may not sound, you know, sexy, exciting, if you will, but, but man, so much forward thinking. And so what brought you to the point to, to start thinking about this sustainability plan? Well, I think, you know, again, like any small organization, or I'm not quite a founder, but basically I'm a founder. (laughs) When people say Friendship Club, they think of me. And when they think of me, they think of Friendship Club. So I'm very enmeshed in the organization, which is fine, but I don't want to have to worry about ever stepping away and having the organization not be successful because people have built up my participation in it too much. And so my goal for the sustainability plan is to really at least put some financial support and (laughs) something we can count on so that um, when and if I do need to step down or 
uh, move along or get hit by a truck, whatever, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, that the organization will thrive beyond me. I mean, that would be, in my mind, the the worst thing that could happen is to, to step away and to see something not succeed. I want to know that when I leave, it's not only going to continue to be successful, but it will thrive and, and perhaps grow, that, that maybe there's someone else who can even take it to the next level. So, yeah. Um, that's why it matters to me. Yeah, Jennifer, you're offering so much value. I mean, I, I can't, I mean, I so resonate with that. I tell people all the time that I'm going to leave here one of three ways. I'm going to die, they're going to get rid of me, or I'm going to leave, one or the other, right? But I'm leaving, and when I leave, what is it going to be after I'm gone? And so your forward thinking, your selfishness, uh, selflessness, rather, um, is is really um, something that I, I value and hope that folks listening will embrace that. It's about legacy. It's about what do you leave behind and how is it, what condition is it in? And it's not about you. It's bigger than you. Um, and take this idea and let others really build on that. Great, great, great. I love to hear more about that. I'm, I'm sure that there are probably some tips and some things that uh, hopefully uh, in time over the next three years, we can have you back on the show and you can tell us how that how that went. I, I'm sure That's that so would good. be a value to, to our listeners. So how do you how do you think about cultivating strategic partnerships? You've got a lot of folks um, that you partner with now, but how do you go about that approach? And, and can you share an example in particular that you found to be very successful? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously I'm into collaboration. I think that that's really the only way to help each other rise up. Um, several years ago, I got involved with a strategic partnership with all the area mentoring programs. And that really, I mean, believe it or not, was the first time we all really sat around the table and made sure that we knew what each other was up to and celebrated each other and tried to work on some initiatives to, you know, help all of our programs be more successful, make sure that we're getting the kids that needed the support. Um, so being a part of something like that was really meaningful. Um, unfortunately, that didn't wasn't able to continue because there was just, uh, you know, we'd had a great, a wonderful grant that helped us put a director into place for that. Um, the collaborations have continued with one or two of the organizations and it also led me to my associate director who I hired a few years ago to, again, bring the strengths I didn't have to the organization. And uh, because of that partnership, you know, we've really been able to grow the organization um, in a way that I just would not have been able to alone. Looking ahead, we are kind of talking with um, a, a medical group in our in our community about um, internships and work uh, meaningful work, getting our girls involved in in work over there and the possibilities because many of them do stay locally and go to our junior college. Um, so our junior college is another partnership that we're trying to enhance, I would say, uh, to make sure that we have a, a warm pass off between the organization and um, and the and the college um, because so many of them are. You know, they're used to having that support and that guidance and to be left out on their own at 18 Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, has been challenging for them. So um, those are just a few of the things we have in the works, I would say, right now. But as far as developing them, I mean, just being smart about who who helps complement what you do, who Mm -hmm. has those bigger visions for yourself. I'm also excited about getting involved um, with uh, our college knowledge program, which is uh, really about encouraging girls to go on to higher education. And um, truth be told, I'd like to get them out of town (laughs) so they can go spread their wings a bit. 
So we have a few irons in the fire about talking about um, how we can get connected with some small private colleges that might be able to um, be a pipeline for our girls and get them them out of here and keep them supported. Yeah. Clearly, Jennifer, you, you've got the strength of vision. Uh, you didn't mention that, but I think it's clearly coming through uh, through the conversation here. And, you know, as I as I think about what you just shared, you know, how do you even start? Like when you when you think about these these complementary organizations that you want a partnership, like what do you do? Do you email them? Do you knock on their door? Like what's that first step? Well, I will tell you the beauty of small town <laughs> is a first step. And I think that you know, I can't minimize that reality even from starting the Friendship Club in the beginning because it was just an idea. There was no, I mean, we had no proof of it that it would work. And it only came together because people respected our founder. They believed in her. They thought it sounded like a good idea. (laughs) You know, so she went and asked her friends, you know, will you support this? Will you mentor a girl? Will you give us a hundred bucks? I mean, whatever it was. So that has always been our tradition. I mean, again, I do feel pretty connected in the community, and that that certainly has helped um, our organization. We've always been able to attract respected people into our organization, so that has always helped carry forth our our good reputation. Um, The beauty of, you know, right now, I mentioned our relationship with our local community college, Sierra College, Um, a beautiful relationship is that one of the the women who got involved with us as a long-term mentor for one of our girls. Her background is in career development. And then now currently she is the, the counselor for the students, um, the disadvantaged students up at the college. So we actually do have this pipeline now. We said, hey, graduate here. Now go call Allie mm-hmm. and she'll set up your first um, you know, meeting at Sierra College and make sure, making sure that you're getting the classes you need. And, and so it is that warm pass off. So, yeah. Yeah, I think between the email or a quick phone call, do you know Friendship Club? I mean, we do ha- enjoy a good reputation. We've done a good job of educating our community about what we do. So it's usually they know who we are when we call, and that really helps uh, get the conversations going. Yeah, I, I. but I think the thing that comes to me, what you shared, is that using your network, not being afraid to reach out to people that are in your immediate circle you just yep. never know who they know. You know, they may yep. not be the one that has the resources or, or whatever you're looking for, but they may know someone who does. So uh, certainly maximize that. So when yeah. you think of measuring your impact, um, we know that a nonprofit, that's really, really important. How do you currently use data to determine if you're you're moving the needle? Well, we do engage in an annual evaluation. Um, every girl completes an interview so that she at least tells us from her perspective what the Friendship Club is doing for her life. And, you know, I'll say we're well into the 90s on things like help me do better in school, help me understand what a positive relationship looks like, help me think about the future, uh, gives me a safe place to be. So, you know, these are all really critical for us because we're trying to make change and break cycles of um, dependency and domestic violence and things like that. So, you know, um, helping them, again, understand why they're here and what, what challenges could be ahead for them and then embracing their own, their own ability to make change in their lives. So that annual evaluation is really key. It helps us keep on top of that we're doing what we want to be doing, that uh, we're relevant to the girls. I mean, things have changed over the last 20 years, not 
that much, to be honest, but things do change and they do have different needs. So uh, we just try to be responsive to that. Um, We also have a professional staff on board who are, you know, run the programs and have very intimate relationships with the girls and know everything about their family and uh, have communication with their teachers, help with their homework and things like that. So we definitely have a a space where the staff is evaluating the girls on their progress and uh, what we think that where they are excelling or where they could need some more support. Between those two things, that's how we make sure we're doing a good job. This is good because I also want to ask you this question about how you're currently leveraging technology. You know, sometimes we uh, may miss opportunities. And so can you share with us, is there a particular technology uh, that you're leveraging right now to really extend your reach and and enhance what you're doing? Um, Anything there? Well, I mean, I think from a program perspective, I mean, things like Facebook have been amazing because it's been able to put me in touch with girls who I've lost touch with. For the alumni piece, that's been critical. That gives me a really easy communication platform and get messages out all the time. We get survey monkeys out to them to figure out what they need from us. So, you know, I think Facebook is an incredible tool. We also use it as an organization, but that's how I'm seeing it being really benefit right now with the alums. From a more fundraising kind of perspective, I mean, there's just a lot more platforms for raising funds these days. We are primarily focused on individual fundraising face-to-face, but um, we do have an event that's we've we've gotten involved with an organization called First Giving, which some of you probably have heard of, or there's a ton of them out there now, um, how to do internet fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason that became important is we we took an event that maybe raised fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, and in the last few years we've been raising up in the eighty eighty thousand dollar range, and so Boom. you know that just important for <laughs> from a fundraising perspective, um, and and also helps bring dollars out of the community into our community so that we are taking some of the pressure off our our local businesses and local people. Uh, We have a very thriving nonprofit community and, you know, people are always looking. So so that that has helped. So, I mean, those are kind of two examples. So, so lest I be remiss for some of our listeners may not know what First Giving Giving is. Can you share a little bit about about that? Sure. It's a fundraising, online fundraising technology. You sign up, you get an account. There is a you know, certainly they get their, their little cut. Um, and then it gives you an opportunity to create your page, show your events, um, get people excited, put on cool pictures. Um, our event is called the Friendship 100. It's a go-kart race and mini golf tournament. And <laughs> so we engage community leaders to race go-karts. Extremely serious, as you can see. I they, love it. I they, love it. they are charged with raising at least a thousand dollars, and and thankfully with the the first giving technology, many of them raise far more. And um, and so you know they can build their page, put their cute team picture up there, and then everyone sends it out to their family and friends, puts it on their Facebook pages, whatever, and that allows people from wherever they are to make a donation to the organization. Got it. So, folks, listen, free, 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 SurveyMonkey, Facebook. Sure, if you want to go to that next level, you can do something like First Giving. But, you know, leverage technology. It's your friend. It can make a difference. I mean, if you 20,000 to 80,000, did I get the numbers right, Jennifer? Yep. Um, Yep. And so the ROI proofs in the pudding. Uh, Before we let you go, I want to I want to get into our last section here. And so. Really quick, name two skills you believe are needed to be successful as a nonprofit leader that perhaps were not as important as in the past. 
Well, I mean, I think I've hit on these, but uh, and I'm not sure about in the past because I'm still a young leader, so here I am. This is all I know. <laughs> but I think collaboration. I mean, you have to be able to go to the table with other people if you continue to try to do it all on your own or try to just be the best and now it's all about us, it's all about me, that you're not going to get as far as you need to and that we can all help each other rise up. And vision. Uh, people do need that light. They need inspiration. They need somebody to believe in and that being a leader is as important as your mission sometimes because people people will come to your organization because of mission, but they'll probably stay too because of, of leadership and, um, and believing in the person that is putting it out there. You know, I mean, you have to be able to be inspirational and to maintain that vision for your organization. And that can be hard as an ED. Sometimes you get a little uh, bogged down in the details. So I, I urge you to, uh, again, figure out what your skills are and then go find the other person that, that can help you be strong. You know, I happen to bring a vision and leadership in that regard, but I don't, I'm not a great manager of people per se, <laughs> you know, that is not my strength. So it's better for me to have a, an associate director who can help with the day-to-day so that I can continue to be out and be the, the leadership. If you could talk to younger Jennifer, what advice would you give her? Uh, you got this. Don't worry. It'll be fine. Uh, don't doubt yourself and be strong. Expect that change will come and that you'll be able to weather it and don't stop. Share one book you've read that has had a lasting impact on the way you approach your work. Yeah, finding your strength. So kind of back to that strength work, there's a lot of work around like Marcus Buckingham and things right. like that. I went and heard him as a speaker a few years ago, and it just it was kind of validating to me that I am what I am, and I'm good at what I'm doing, and I can't do it all, and that's okay, and embrace that, and go with um, finding, building your team with that in mind. It's really changed the way we've done a lot of things at the Friendship Club. Can you share one action our, our listeners can take in the next two weeks in their pursuit uh, to impact their community? Well, if you're in nonprofit, I mean, I just, I'm always about education, getting in there, helping each other, reach out to um, organizations in your community that might be like-minded, build coalitions, build collaborations with with the nonprofit community and figure out how you can share information. Um, there's, there, thankfully, there is movement in that department <laughs> for some. Um, I know in our community that um, silos used to exist and nonprofits were just fearful of sharing information. And so I would just encourage if you're in, the, in a community of nonprofit and you're seeing that, figure out how you be pulling organizations together because we're just going to be better together. And so, Jennifer, before we sign off, where can we go to find out more about you and the work you're doing? Uh, Friendship Club is www.friendshipclub.org. And so we have a great website that talks all about our programs. And if you're interested in supporting us, we'd love to have you. So there's some online options for donations. And, um, you know, I also believe that this organization is um, can be a model for other, especially rural communities. I think it's really focused on rural uh, poverty and rural youth. And, um, you know, a big idea that I just don't have <laughs> dialed in yet is sharing the program with others. Um, but if people are anxious to hear more about that and I start getting enough phone calls, then, then we will know that um, this is something that we can start working towards sharing. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, folks, my mentor, Dave Ramsey, says the difference between the you now and the you later is the people you meet and the books you read. And you've been listening to Jennifer Singer and Jay Everline. And I'm so excited that you've joined us. Thank you for joining us today, Jennifer, and for making a difference in your community. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Folks, head over to faithfactorimpact.com and access the show notes page for this interview and other episodes. And until next time, let's make an impact.